When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday. The latest trainer to join our ranks is Donald McCain. To celebrate, we'll be having a Sunday and Final Furlong Podcast owner's morning on Saturday, April 16th at Bankhouse Stables to see Raffles Capital and the €150,000 purchase, Invincible Power, the most expensive horse Sunday have ever To join us, download the app or visit allaboutsunday.com. The ultimate racehorse ownership experience. And by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. Kaluki offer betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, with instant withdrawals and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki also have betting pitches at tracks across the UK, including additional ones at Cheltenham. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk And you're very welcome to the first of three Cheltenham review shows. Darren McGrath and the legend Dennis O'Regan will join us for reviews of day one and two later on this evening, Monday and again on Tuesday for days three and four and right now we are joined by the GOAT, greatest broadcaster in racing slash along with Lydia Hislop, Nick Luck who did a sterling job on racing TV, bringing it to our homes. Welcome back to the Final Furlong Podcast, my friend. It's always good to be with you, Emmett. Um, good to be back on a, a podcast that I realized existed before I realized that podcasts existed. <laughs> and when you introduced Dennis O'Regan as a legend, I, I, I fancied my chances of a decent introduction, so appreciate it. Well, it was well-deserved. Um, it was a sterling job from everybody at Team Racing TV. I absolutely loved it, and I, I saw you saw the tweet that I sent out as well. Um, to go straight into it, the, the crowds were back, and there was a brilliant Brilliant headline in the Times. Cheltenham Festival, the gates opened and a mothballed Peaky Blinders convention gushed in as crowds return, wrote Rick Broadbent um, for an equine celebration. That's a headline so good that Darren wasn't joking. He's actually got that framed and put in his office. Um, What was it like having the crowds, not only crowds, but record-breaking crowds, return to Cheltenham after a ghost town last year? Oh, obviously fantastic to have people back, but it was different. It was very different. The vibe of the place was definitely ratcheted up a notch or two. And I think that's to set the template for the future. Uh, and and I always used to think that the first three days had a an energy, but then the Gold, the gold Cup day would ha- had an energy of its own. I, I didn't really notice that difference necessarily this time. I thought all four days, people were just hard at it all day, every day. 
it was it was a an intensity to the to the crowd that I hadn't really experienced before. And as I say, it was there wasn't so much ebb and flow in terms of the crowd noise. It was just there always at all times. So yeah, people were determined to get out there, enjoy it, make the most of it. And that they certainly did, even on what would have been a very challenging day for everybody on Wednesday, particularly those people who were working in the hospitality areas. But uh, yeah, I think really the course coped pretty well with it. Yeah, we'll come back to that uh, towards the end, but we'll we'll discuss some of the the key talking points, and I want your own take on races as well, particularly Constitution Hill. Uh, I got this mm. horse badly wrong, Nick, badly wrong. Um, a demolition job in the Supreme Novice Hurdle, and set a course record, or did he? Well, I mean, it's arguable because the mechanism wasn't working, so you you had to kind of do it yourself and take take your own hand time whether or not he actually wrote the course record he ran a, a very fast time in part because he's a very very good horse uh, and now officially time form rate him the best novice hurdler since their records began in excess even of the great golden signet and it, by the way it's worth if you want context you can find golden signet's victory in the supreme novices on youtube just well worth looking at what he did back in in 77 um just to to give you a little bit of context as to what Timeform think that Constitution Hill has achieved, uh, in part because he's a very good horse, in part because if you were going to devise a race for a horse to run a massive time, that was it. It was almost a relay between free-going Dysart Dynamo, who when he started to wave a will to little, John Bond's such a good horse that he was then able to tow Constitution Hill even further deeper into the race going, going apace, and then Constitution Hill had to do it all for himself from the um, from between two out and the last to the line, but yeah, if you if you were to design a race where a horse could run a fast time on a perfect surface with good enough horses to tow him all that way, this was it. So yes, brilliant, but the perfect setup of all perfect setups. Yeah, I think that's a very important point to make. The ground was officially well; they changed it later on in the evening to good. And uh, we'll talk about that later on as well. But the clerk of the course, Dennis O'Regan, was, was telling us on the morning line of the final furlong that um, that name's up for grabs, you know, uh, that um, sure. the clerk of the course came in and said, well, lads and, and ladies, like, what did you make of the ground? Like, were you happy with it? And they all went, no, no, we weren't happy with it. Um, Willie Mullins voiced his concerns about it. He said that the ground was way too fast for his horses on day one. Uh, Gordon Elliott wasn't exactly pleased. Uh, and then, of course, it all changes on on day two, which we'll we'll talk about as well a, a little bit later on. But before we do, um, Danny Mullins, who you spoke to eloquently yesterday, uh, and Danny is Danny is such a, a fantastic jockey, and he's so eloquent in his own way, uh, but particularly in how he previews a race, but then how he breaks down a race as well. And that interview that you did with him on Look on Sunday was absolutely sensational. Um, the scenes of him being picked up and carried around the parade ring was absolutely fantastic as well. But um, apparently on, on ITV, Ruby Walsh and Mick Fitzgerald said that it was one of the best rides they'd ever seen at Cheltenham. Um, in a stairs hurdle for the second year in a row, getting the fractions absolutely spot on. Well, you don't exactly need to be Franklin or Wilkins or a high-end geneticist to realise that the, the Mullins family are smarter than the average bears. Um, whether it's Willie, Patrick, Emmett, Danny, they're just bright guys. And, and, and 
Danny's ride on on Flooring Porter was just perfection, wasn't it? I mean, I, I think, yeah, Ruby Walsh analysed it brilliantly on ITV. No one's going to better that bit of analysis. But I think the bravery you have to have to keep taking a pull in a staying race is is pretty significant. And being aware of all the horse's foibles as well, that he might duck left, might duck right, might just do anything. But uh, it was an excellent ride. And yeah, a great a great highlight. I thought there were a number of very good riding performances during the week. I mean, Rachel Blackmore, okay, Appalutar won the Gold Cup by, you know, a mile, but her you know, judicious patience really showed the horse off to, to his full capability, which is what any fan of the horse has been waiting to see now for two or three years. The ride that Keelan Woods gave Global Citizen was a very good ride in the yeah. Grand Annual in that horrible in in that horrible weather. Actually, Patrick Mullins's ride both on Billaway and Facile Vega very different. One hard fought, one very straightforward, but they both in their own way were were brilliant. Um, I thought Tom Cannon gave Edward Stone an excellent ride. Yeah, there were lots of there were lots of rides during the week that were very very good. But um, yeah, I thought Danny Mullins on Flooring Porter was just about the best of the lot. And a massive shout out to Gavin Cromwell as well because to get your horses to peak for Cheltenham when they've been out of form all season. It may just very well be that both he and Henry uh, were looking at how do I repeat what I achieved last year and almost gave up on the early season and were targeting the Dublin Racing Festival, Cheltenham and beyond. Um, and that would appear to be what, what Gavin was doing with Florian Porter, but however he did it, he had him absolutely pitch perfect, and there's no reason to think that he can't defend his crown again and, and become uh, an absolute legend by winning three in a row. I mean, he could be the next big bucks. Um, Alaho becomes only the second horse to win the Ryanair back-to-back and again blitzes his field. Uh, yeah, and the problem is that however big a figure Alaho runs and however impressive he is in doing it, and actually, however... Um, However meritorious the field that he's beating is, he, he'll never, no one will ever really start eulogising because the Ryanair is the Ryanair. And even, even though it's reasonably well established now, and I'm not going to get into a debate about whether it should be there or not because it's there now, you know, like it or lump it. But people aren't going to get as excited about it as they are about the Gold Cup. Uh, and also, you know, Alaho is a horse who who tends to, produce good performances on a regular basis, but except exceptional performances in this race. And I suspect that we'll get more of the same this time next year. Of course, what you'd really love is to see connections, chuck him in the gold cup, but with Aplutar running for Chivley Park already, that's you'd have thought pretty unlikely. Um, if anything befell Aplutar, perhaps they'd have a go. Uh, maybe Willie Mullins would persuade them because if Galapin Deschamps, say fluffs his lines once next year and doesn't look the the real deal for the Gold Cup, then what's Mullins got as his, as his senior Gold Cup contender? So I'd love to see Alaho have a crack at the Gold Cup now he's won two Ryanairs and then we'll see how good he is. Yeah, there is the returning Monkfish. We can't forget him. Um, but it just seems as though anytime they step him up to three miles, it doesn't work. Now maybe he's older and stronger and at the age of nine, he could take in a Gold Cup. Um, and I'm sure Paul Townend would be delighted if that were the case. Uh, but again, an awful lot's going to hinge on Gallop and Deschamps and Monkfish and how all of those horses come through. The other point to make is that this is a horse that Willie Mullins... Willie, I, I love Willie. He just speaks out loud. Just whatever he's thinking just kind of spews from his mouth most of the time. So he's kind of reined that back in a little bit in, in recent times, but most of the time that's what he does. And he talked about 
last year, well, you know, we could go back and trip. He could be a champion chase horse. They tried that. It didn't work. He got absolutely annihilated by Shaq and Porsois. Um, and they had tried him over three miles and that didn't work. So it just, he, he reminds me an awful lot of native upmanship in that he falls between two stools and that finally at Cheltenham, there is a race for him and this is it. So if it's not broken, don't fix it. Yep, that's probably that's probably the size of it, Emmett. I would imagine he'll be back for his third Ryanair next year and he'll be very difficult to be. The one thing that did impress me, I suppose, and I was teeing this up beforehand, I was working with Martin Dixon on Thursday, and I was saying, you know, horses can produce a spellbinding performance like he produced in the 2021 Ryanair, and they can come back and win the race again and again, but it's very unusual that they produce a carbon copy performance, that yeah. they can go out hard, run that hard, and against slightly different opposition, do exactly the same thing. And he was like, yeah, well, he's just going to do the same again. If they try and go quicker than him, they're going too quick. And he was spot on. It was a carbon copy, which is quite unusual. I suppose you could argue Flooring Porter was as well. But yeah, I was I was quite impressed that Aloe, a horse who'd been asked to race hard in the race last year, came back and delivered the lot again, which makes me think maybe that even when he produces a performance of that magnitude, He's not actually exerting himself to the to the maximum, which is quite scary. It really is, and there is that phrase: be what, be wary of wide margin winners next time out. Because when you win a race by a wide margin, you're taking an awful lot out of yourself. But it seems as though Willie just has a knack with him, and he has the constitution to be able to to do it. Um, Willie also, for the first time, finally broke his duck and wins the. Betway Queen Mother Champion Chase with an Ergamine. It does seem to have been mind games all along, uh, potentially with Shaq and Porsois, who was a big drifter on the day. Um, he wouldn't have liked the ground at all. Uh, this was the day where everybody was getting dressed up, everybody was getting dolled up. I was watching yourself and the team on Racing TV, and thankfully you had cover. I think Lydia actually threw to you saying, I hope you've got cover, Nick, <laughs> because poor Lydia didn't. Um, and uh, thankfully you did. You were in the, you were just outside the um, the jockey's weighing room. Um, this was, this was a strange race that was disappointing because obviously Shishkin pulls up and Nicky Anderson has a pop then at the, at the, clerk of the course. Um, Shaka and Porcival was travelling well when, unfortunately for Patrick, for the second time in the Champion Chase, he on seats. Um, but Anurgamine had looked a superstar last year and proved it this time. And um, in the process, beats a very good yardstick in Fumble Savola, who, a colleague of yours and mine, um, the wine tipster, Neil Phillips, has a, a significant share in. So I was delighted for him because he's a, a local Cheltenham man as well. So I was thrilled for him that he, he got a Cheltenham uh, runner-up in a grade one. But delighted for Willie, Paul, and and everyone connected to an Ergamine that um, they finally got their champion chase. Yeah, lo- I mean, loads to unpack here. But the first thing to say is that w- will we ever get a champion chase where they all turn up? you know, uh, uh, where they all actually turn up and run a race. Because every time we've got horses of really superior ability and there's more than one of them, it's very rare that more than one of them actually shows up. You know, Shaq Amposwa didn't make it to the start two years ago. Last year, he sort of ran okay. Even back in the Moscow Flyer Azertiop days, it would be knit one, pearl one. One year, Moscow had unseat his rider. The next year, Azertiop would drop his hind legs in the water and not run his race. Yeah. You know, it would be great to have a champion chase where they actually all showed up. Shishkin was beaten when the tapes went up. Nico said he gave him an all right feel going to post and didn't think anything was wrong. He was beaten before the first fence. It can't just have been the ground. It really can't just have been the ground. 
Um, I asked whether that Ascot race had taken the edge off him to the extent where he just didn't feel like it much. And he rejected that notion when we spoke on Luck on Sunday yesterday. But clearly something was badly amiss with Shishkin, which was a great shame. He pulled him up where he should have done. I thought Jacques Ampoussois was going okay, but it was too early in the race to say how long he could have stuck in there. And the way that an Ergeman just glided through the, the wet ground and glided up the hill, it would have taken an absolute champion to, to beat him, even though the race significantly thinned out. Um, yeah, it, it's a shame really, because although he is a, a worthy champion and certainly worthy of being on that trophy, Enegumen, no one's going to be talking about the 2022 champion chase as one of the great races. No, uh, the defending champion was very disappointing, finishing 27 lengths behind them. Um, Envoy Alain, I'm told by somebody who would know, I can't name who it is, that it, he has a serious leg and shoulder issue. And if you watch how he jumps, I watched it back again this morning, you can see that. Rachel was really good on him, getting him over. And you can see why they decided to go for, for the two-mile race instead of going for the Ryanair. Um, obviously, Chivy Park had options there anyway, but he's never going to be what he what he was, and that's a great shame. Um, it can happen to horses. Uh, you mentioned Shishkin not looking right beforehand. It's interesting you say that because Matt Polly, who's now a regular contributor on the final furlong, and I believe is currently third now on the NAPS table. Um, well done, Matt. Uh, he looked at him in the paddock and immediately scratched him off his list. He went, he's not right. He doesn't look at anything right at all. Oh, well, that's, I mean, that's it. That's his, that's his call. I mean, I must say nothing of that nature struck me. I, I, I'll bow to, I'll bow to his better paddock judgment. I've got to say, I, I mean, they were all heavily rugged up Wednesday. The rain was teeming down. It was, it was pretty hard to determine. I've got to say there's no, I noticed nothing that would have concerned me. Um, other than the fact he was a bit weak in the market, which would always concern me more than than someone's paddock assessment, but um, it was the fact that yeah, you know, there was nothing, no, nothing was an issue until the tapes went back. But it was almost before they'd even jumped the first fence, you were like, oh, he's been yeah. almost driven into the first fence, driven away from. As soon as he was driven away from the first fence, I thought, you know, that's that's that. He's he's not at the races for whatever reason. A bit like Hillcrest. Hillcrest was beaten. Somebody said, oh, he jumped the first badly. I said, never mind jumping the first badly. He didn't pick up the bridle going into the first. Yeah. He was six to one before they jumped a hurdle. You know, these horses, for whatever reason, they just were not at the races. And it's um it's a strange phenomenon that Cheltenham can produce, whether it's just occasionally an an atmosphere get or, or whatever gets to a horse or whatever, they've left a race on the gallops. I don't know, but it, it is it is a it is curious. My my theory was that and Ergamine was undercooked for Ascot and Shishkin, Nikki was on this show and Nikki had said that Shishkin needed the run, but perhaps Shishkin just left it behind that Ascot and he made a significant number of mistakes that day as well. Um, and I thought with the with the shorter distance at Cheltenham that an Ergamine could turn the form around. Um, I wasn't exceptionally bullish about him, but I, I did do one of the things I got right was doing the exacta. And it was kind of an emotional thing with... Um, Neil having such a share in Fumble Savola, and I thought the 40s was insulting given the fact that the ground had, had gone the way it was. Uh, that being said, if Fumble Savola had beaten an Urgamine because it was a, a straight exacta, I'd have been peas and carrots all over my, my uh, living room floor in, in the Kennedy Mansion. But yeah, it, it was odd. And, and Hillcrest, as you mentioned, such a, 
such a beast of a of a racehorse, but perhaps he left it behind at, at Haydock that his ideal prep was going to be at Cheltenham. He becomes unseated. They have to go to Haydock, and maybe it just came too quick. Yeah, it possibly. Who knows? I mean, you can you can speculate. I'm, my view is that the horses that don't even pick up the bridle going into the first flight of hurdles or first fence, they are either ill at ease mentally because the occasion has in some way discombobulated them or they have a physical ailment, mm. um, more likely the latter because I'm not an equine psychologist. So even if they're quote unquote fine, there's a lot of things you can't actually figure out at first at first inspection of it or so anyway. We, we said on the Final Forum podcast about three years ago, there's a market for an equine psychologist. So if anyone out there is is looking for that job, if you've got the white coat and you think you can do it, then by all means, uh, get involved. I'm sure you'd make a fortune. Um, Rachel Blackmore, who you've alluded to, brilliant ride on Honeysuckle. And the great thing there was that she got the deserved applause that was lacking last year. Yeah, I mean, you say brilliant ride. It, it not, it's not necessarily a ride that would have you know, fitted the, the textbook definition of brilliant ride. It, it wasn't sort of ground saving in the early stages. Honeysuckle saw quite a bit of daylight. She was five wide, turning away from the stands. But Rachel does seem to have immense confidence in her and to know where the mare is happy in a race. And I think just understanding a little about her as a horse, she clearly is a fairly singular she sort of likes to do things her own way. She doesn't like to be interfered with too much. And sort of she likes to be given that 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 rope and that confidence by who, whoever happens to be riding her, whether the, whether it's at home or on the race course, or whoever happens to be looking after her. You know, she, she does her own thing and it works. Um, Rachel has great confidence to ride her like that. Where I think it was a clever, she, did, she's, she was a little bit wide down the back. She then made sure that she was she was inside turning for home. So it was outside in. So she wasn't wasting ground on the turn back toward home. Um, and to be honest, she was just much better than the others, wasn't she? The interesting yeah. question about Honeysuckle is not, well, what's she beaten here? It's a question of, will horses of a higher caliber than the ones she's been beating elevate her to a, a yet higher plane? That was yes. a question I attempted to ask Henry de Bromhead yesterday, but one that he, I think, might have been slightly misinterpreting as me having a crab at Honeysuckle, which I wasn't. I was just saying, if oh, no. we know, we know over again. Well, we well we know that that Constitution Hill is a, a brilliant horse. If if they decide to take her on at Punchestown, and and he runs the same sort of race that he did at Cheltenham, then on paper we know that he has the the the, um, the weapons in his armory to defeat just about any horse in training. But will that serve to elevate Honeysuckle's performance to a higher level because she simply finds a way of winning? We don't really know where her comfort zone is because she's never really been out of it. We speculated. People will say, right, she was wilting up the running at Leopardstown. How much does she have left at Cheltenham? But the bald facts are she keeps winning. Her portfolio of victories is so significant now that you can't ignore the fact that she keeps finding a way to win irrespective of the circumstances of the race. So it may well be that even if you put a an opponent of an even higher caliber than the ones that she's been beating in against her now, it will simply serve to, uh, to, to enable her to raise her game. Whether she beats Constitution Hill or whether she's defeated by Constitution Hill, I have absolute confidence, Emmett, that in that race, if they both give their running, she will produce a, a figure higher than she has done before. I would 
agree with that. I would also, though, take you back to what we said about the Supreme earlier on, in that everything went Constitution Hill's way. And I just wonder if, having been on the wrong side of Constitution Hill, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying not to be uh, seen as, he's not that good. Um, but I, I do want to try and bring us back to reality in that uh, Dan Barber said, if Constitution Hill ran in the champion hurdle, he'd have won. And I can understand how he can look at that from a pure time perspective. But I strongly disagree with that. They're two very differently run races. Um, everything that could have gone right for Constitution Hill did. If you plug him into a champion hurdle, you're now in open company against a, a bigger field at a slower pace um, against a, a genuinely brilliant horse and a true champion in Honeysuckle who just knows how to win all the time. Yeah. He'll only be having his fourth ever race course start. And it's going to be mouthwatering. It's going to be some clash. And in some way... In some ways, Punchestown come out the, the winners of this if this happens. If Nicky doesn't you know, pull up the handbrake, if Michael Buckley gets his way and, and they, they go for it and they take on Honeysuckle, it will inform them as to what to do next year. Do you go chasing? Do you stay hurdling? But I would be with Honeysuckle over... Yeah. I, I, I think I'd... I, I think I'd be with Constitution Hill, in all honesty. <laughs> if you were... If you were to ask me how I would bet, I would make Constitution Hill a, a, a marginal favourite. But I, but I, I, not, not, not. I wouldn't be dogmatic about it. I wouldn't okay. be dogmatic about it. And I'd love to see Honeysuckle win. You know, it's, it's not. But I, I definitely wouldn't be dogmatic about it. And I, I do think Henry de Bromhead has a point that she perhaps hasn't been given the credit that the, you know, her overall portfolio of achievement um, deserves. I, I don't, I don't have an issue with that at all. I can understand why he, he would feel a little bit defensive. And it's nice to hear. It's nice to hear trainers and owners passionate about their horses yeah. who've done so much for them and have, have meant so much to them. And you know, she's she's unusual. So no, I, I just think he's a he's ex, he's exceptional. He's got the he's got everything. I don't really see that his inexperience is an issue. I think the point that Nico de Boinville made about about them clashing at Punchestown this year is an interesting one, which is that the entire season for Constitution Hill has been geared around peaking him for Cheltenham. And there has got to be a chance, given how hard he's run, um, that he would recoil a little from yeah, that. Now, even point. if he recoiled a little from that, that might be good enough. But he will. It's 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 a huge ask to ask him to to or, or to. It's a huge assumption to make that he is capable of knocking out a one seven seven next, or if it, if he's one seven seven p a one eight one next time he runs. Yeah. It's. It's difficult to conceive of that, particularly in a race that is likely to be, you know, less conducive to to producing a performance of that of that caliber. And I should clarify that when I was on Talksport and had to eat humble pie after Constitution Hill pulled up and Dice Dynamo had hit the deck, um, with with John Bond, me saying, "Oh, John Bond should be favoured for this race." I don't understand why he isn't. I my instant reaction was, "He's a freak." Like he's just a pure freak of nature to have won by the winning distances he had done so previously and to then do this. Like appreciated one by, was it 24 lengths? But Blue Lord fell at the last. So to win by 22 is just extraordinary. It, 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 re it really was. I'm not yeah, taking and, anything and, and, from him. 
It, it's just the caliber of, of the caliber of opposition was much better than the than the opposition that that appreciated oh, 100%. Um, last year. So I mean, this was a this was a, an, an exceptional performance, whichever way you slice it. Incidentally, I don't think Michael Buckley's particularly dogmatic about the idea of going to punch us down. I think it's a sort of flight of fancy that he was he was quite liking the idea of. I can't see him. I can't see him pushing Nicky Henderson hard if Nicky Henderson doesn't doesn't really want to go um, go that way. Well, Nicky's talking about Marie's Rock turning up to punch us down, and he's done it before. He's he's made the journey over to Ireland before, so who knows? Uh, they they may very well send over well, a team, and it would be, be great. I, I really hope that um, we're not going to talk about Edward Stone because there's, there's too much else to talk about, and we'll we'll chat about it tonight with um, Dennis and Darren, but uh, I'd love it if Alan King brought Edward Stone over because he's clearly better than what we have in Ireland, uh, unless Fernie Hollow somehow makes it back. Um, he would win the, the two-mile novice chase. So I'd, I'd love to see Alan King bring his, his horse over, and I'd love to see Lon Press come over as well. Why not? Look, the prize money's big. Roll the dice. Um, well, I've, I've spoken to I've spoken to Venetia this morning on on my daily podcast, and she says Lompresse won't be going to Punchestown. Damn it. Um, I don't think she wants to run anything at Punchestown. I think she thinks that's when you, the time of the year where you turn the, the nice winter horses out and whatnot. But I don't think they've, they've not ruled out Aintree for any of hers, I don't think. But I don't think he'll be, I don't think he'll be going to Punchestown. Marie's Rock's an interesting mare. I think you've got to remember two years ago when she didn't make the mare's novice hurdle, Henderson was suggesting that she's going to be the next Epaton. She would be his next champion hurdle mare. Right. Well, she's not that far off that sort of level of form. And she's sort of one, if she's thriving and it's the end of the season, I'd half have a, I'd have half a think about chucking her into a, an open all sex grade one at, at Punchestown. I'd, I'd, I'd be, you, you kind of got nothing to lose. I'd definitely give her a bowl up against the, against the seniors because she's, She's quite smart. She's sharp. She's got loads of pace, and she's thriving. And he thought he, he thought she wasn't far off a champion hurdle filly a couple of years ago. So, I'd be I'd definitely be tempted to to roll the dice with her. I think that's a great show. Um, the last jockey to do the champion hurdle and gold cup in the same season was Tony McCoy, which was twenty five years ago. McCoy mm-hmm. grabbed Rachel Blackmore, pulled her in for a selfie. Um, which was captured either by your cameras or ITVs. I think it was actually captured by your cameras. Um, but the fact that she has completed that, that, look, she wins on Bob Ollinger. We'll talk about that later on. But the champion hurdle in the Gold Cup. Is it? I mean, was it, is this the racing equivalent of Michael Owen posting the picture of himself from 1998 when, <laughs> um, um, oh, my brain's gone. That sports personality of the year. Yeah. When Emma, when Emma Raducanu won sports personality. It is. I remember when I did that. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, screw you, McCoy. I still haven't forgiven you for stealing my steak. Uh, it really is, actually, isn't it? Um, but I, I suppose you could also say that guy's an icon of the sport, and so you know you've, you've made it. Not that Rachel needed to be told that she's made it. She certainly has. And when she came to... Thurless on just the next day, her own mother couldn't even get to her. She had to queue to get to see her. She was mobbed. Um, she's a rock yeah, star. She's a rock star of the sport. And I'll, I'll concede the point about the ride in the champion hurdle, but the ride in the gold cup, this was a very different race to last year. You didn't have Native River, Camboy. Um, you didn't have uh, there was another significant runner who hadn't lined up, um, who would had set that breakneck pace. And 
I think Rachel was very comfortable throughout the race. She never panicked at all, and it was a superb ride. Brilliant. Brilliant ride. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. All of the above. And that rendition of the Fields of Earth and Rye on Friday, blaring out from the crowd, from the sands, uh, was something special because Willie Mullins ends up breaking the record for the number of victories by one trainer sent out during the week. It was set by Gordon Elliott for eight. He equals that, then surpasses it with 10, but almost extra- almost even more uh, extraordinary was the fact that he sent out a 1,519-to-1 five-timer on the Friday. Oh. It, it was just a clean sweep for Ireland on Friday, but unbelievable that it was led by, by Willie Mullins and extraordinary stuff. I noticed that Willie Mullins is being talked of as a, a, a potential future winner of the British Trainers Championship. Well, it, it ought to be remembered that it's not long ago that he actually had a proper go at it and only came up short on the final day That's right. against Paul Nichols. It was, what was that, five five or six seasons ago, something like that? Did, that he hasn't really tried since. Didn't Nichols, win the, didn't Nichols win the Scottish National? And that's that's what tilted it. Uh, yeah, well, he did, but then it, it still went to the last day, didn't it, at Sandown? And I oh, think Nichols right. finished second in the, I think his second in the Bet365 Gold Cup just got him over the line. Um, it would have been, we're going back six years, I think. We're going back to 2016. Mullins has got firepower now. If he wanted to do it, he'll do it. But, and, and actually, to be honest, if he, if he ran a few at Aintree, if he, if he actually pulled out a few, a few second stringers at Aintree and won a few of those grade ones and won the Grand National, he could just about do it this time round. If he puts his mind to it, he could just about do it, you know. I know Nichols is sat, is, is running everything with a pulse at Aintree, but it, it's not it's not beyond the bounds. Unlikely, but not beyond the bounds. Um, we'll go back to Paul Nichols in, in a second. Uh, for Henry de Bromhead to train back-to-back Gold Cup winners, again, the 1-2 in the Gold Cup, this time the other way around, to peak a Plutard and to peak... Um, the runner-up, Manelindo, who I thought was gone at the game. I, I, I didn't see anything at the DRF that made me think that horse is going to win a Gold Cup was quite simply extraordinary from him. Well, if this was any other era, wouldn't we be hailing these training performances of Henry de Bromhead as the greatest National Hunt training performances of all time? Isn't it because we've become so blasé about the ruthless efficiency of Willie Mullins and to a certain extent of somebody like Nicky, Nicky Henderson, who's up into the seventies now of, uh, of Cheltenham festival winners, as well as up into the seventies in years that they can just prep these horses with such precision uh, timing each and every year and just churn out winner after winner after winner that we're, we're no longer that impressed by stuff. I mean, De Brom had to go 1-2 two, two years running in the Gold Cup and the Grand National last year and have the winner of the champion hurdle two years in a row and win the champion chase on the first occasion. It's kind of stupid, isn't it? I mean, people just don't do that. And, and the, you, you, you t- as you say, it was the case, it was just orthodoxy that horses who'd run well in Gold Cups before just didn't run that well again. Mm. Or they were, you know, honourable in defeat. But... One two with the same two horses in in a in a d- different order in in two years running as you say it. Both horses had not got, an absolute time never got lost, but Manella Indo got completely lost in the middle of the season, and it's come back. 
and, and now he says he doesn't think he, he maybe ran his race because he didn't finish off the race so strongly. I mean, if that's a disappointing run from a returning gold cup horse, <laughs> that, that goes to show you the, the bar that trainers have now set for themselves and the expectations that they are, that they are having to perform to. Yeah, I guess he's looking at Manila Indo being beaten 15 lengths and going, no, that, that, that can't really be Manila Indo. I, I think he did remarkable work and deserves an immense amount of praise for getting Manila Indo to be second. Um, because he just, he had lost his way. He didn't look anything. He looked a shadow of the horse he was. Um, and, and that kind of goes back to Gold Cups of, of yonder dare I use a Texan phrase, um, back in the old days, uh, because Gold Cup horses would just have a brutal race and, and they wouldn't be able to to come back from it. But here's, he produces the one-two again, just in a different order. And um, Rachel committed to a Plutard a long way out, as in this was going to be her ride and um, how right she was. And I think we can now say with a fair degree of certainty that Galvin's defeat of a Plutard, as great as that was on the day for the Elliott team, was very much down to the fact that the De Bromhead team just weren't firing at Christmas um, because a Plutard and most of everything else that Henry ran, ran at Cheltenham was just much, much better than they had been during the, the Christmas period. Yeah, I mean, and that's it. And yeah, he was worried about the form of his horses going into... Cheltenham, or we were worried about the form of his horses going into Cheltenham, the record books will not show that. It will, they will not show what his percentage was this year, nor will they care. They will simply care that once again he's won the champion hurdle and the Gold Cup. And there was a period at the very highest level of dominance from that county Waterford yard. Uh, I was in Cheltenham uh, in 2018 and 2019. I've covered it from home for TalkSport for the last couple of years. And I spent most of my time watching the racing on the big screen in the winner's enclosure, which seems like a strange thing to do, to be at Cheltenham and not go out into the stands to watch the races, um, which is why I did that for the DRF when we were actually allowed, Nick. We were allowed to return uh, and go back uh, and, and be at a race course and not have to wear face masks the whole time. Bloody hell. Um, but standing, if you were standing there, it was a disaster for you if you were a Gallup and Deschamps fan, which is exactly what happened to William Mullins and to uh, David Casey, because Gallup and Deschamps jumps the last, and then the screen froze. And it was the groans and the gasps from the crowd that made them go, wait, what? What's going on? Because he's jumped it perfectly fine. And, and then they, they go out down that chute and see that Bob Ollinger's the one coming in as the winner, and Paul's walking towards them. Uh, it was just, I was so sorry for him. Uh, I was sorry for my bank balance because I had him at 16s, 7s, 8s, 8s, 5s, 2s, 11 to 10 again. Um, I thought he was the superior jumper, and, and he was the whole way around, but you have to jump these fences. And it was just a strange mistake for him to make. He just, he slipped. He's, he's jumped the last, I'm sure you said this on, on Racing TV, he's jumped the last perfectly, but then just slips. It was it was just bizarre and, and incredibly unfortunate. Mm. The, for, a, for a rather unexciting and rather uninspiring forerunner race, it's thrown up a, an extraordinary amount of talking points and people trying to grapple with what these two horses have achieved. Well, the answer is quite a lot, irrespective of what Henry de Bromhead says about Bob Ollinger, which I'll come to in a minute. But 
the time of the race was really pretty good. Um, and that was with a, a horse who was left in front and was laboring up the hill like an Eastern block larder. Um, not like the sort of fleet of foot Ferrari that we saw burning up the hill in the Ballymore last year with his head in the air this time and, and barely able to, to raise a gallop. The fact that he still stopped the clock on significantly rain softened ground only, I think it was only 15 odd seconds outside the standard and on ground officially described as soft. Mm. What makes you realize just what Galapin Deschamps would have done had he stood up, probably stopped it in 10, 11 outside. Um, given the fact that he was still galloping and Bob Ollinger was completely stopping to a walk, the gap between them would have, would have um, lengthened, no doubt. So I'd say, I'd say both horses have actually achieved on, on the clock and performance a, a really significant amount. Galapin Deschamps, like a huge amount. Um, and so therefore it is very interesting that both Rachel Blackmore and Henry de Bromhead insist that Bob Ollinger was nowhere near his best and that he made a horrible noise, to quote the trainer, after he'd made that sort of juddering mistake for out. He must have so much ability, Bob Ollinger, but whether his um, chassis and his apparatus are now ever going to allow him to show that full ability remains to be seen. And it also, of course, contextualizes just how good Galapin Deschamps is. And you talk about freakish performances, he he now has convinced me, even ironically enough, in a race where he hasn't completed, that he is of freakish talent for all the reasons given above. Yeah, he he's an extraordinary horse. And um, Willie talked about it after. I, first of all, I, I thought that what how Henry and Rachel handled it respectively was just a measure of their class. Um, you don't want to win like that. We're so happy that Gallopin and Paul are up, but you really don't want to win a race like that. But Rachel was at pains to say he never felt like the Bob Hollinger today. And I wonder if the reason why he didn't feel that way, and I'm I'm talking to Henry tomorrow, so um, you, you've got one up on me there. Um, I wonder if the reason that Gallopin Deschamps, um, apologies, if Bob Hollinger didn't feel the way that he had done at the Cheltenham Festival previously is because he was being put in the red zone. Yeah. To, to yeah, use an yeah, NFL term. That, that, yeah, we, 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 teed, we teed up this possibility the other day and I teed it up with Henry yesterday and I said, you know, is it not just that Galapin Deschamps is a sort of horse that's going to make, put Bob Bollinger out of his comfort zone and he can't really have it. He's like, I didn't think there was any horse capable of doing that. Yeah, that was, a, know, good, and, that was and, a great and, quote. And I think until we see a little bit more evidence, we, there's a bit of us that has to take that has to take that on trust that there is a better, there is an inherently better Bob Ollinger in there, irrespective of what Galapin Deschamps did to him through that race. Mm. Um, because I think, I think he'd have come up the hill with a little more gusto and jumped a little better, even if Galapin Deschamps had, you know, forced him into submission. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, Danny Mullins did warn us that Bob Ollinger is not a, fluent chaser so and he was making mistakes so if any horse was going to fall it was going to be him <laughs> but Murphy's Law uh, Gallop and the Champ is the one that comes down 5-1 to one, Gallop and the Champ 4-1 to 9-2 a Plutard with Kaluki for next year's Gold Cup who would you rather be with? 
Well, at those odds, I'll have um, I'll have Aplutar again. Me too. Yeah, he's proven. And, he should um, really be he, after what he's just achieved. He should be shorter than that. And, he, and he'll be nine as well. He'll, he'll be nine. He's uh, got a he's got a nice group of horses to take on next year. Though you know, Lompresse is a just a perfect horse. He's perfect. He's perfect. He's just he maybe I don't know whether he's he's quite got the brilliance of Gallop and Deschamps, but he's just he's just beautiful over a fence. He's just so economical. He just tipped. He tipped his way around without touching a twig, and then you think there's a point in the race where Charlie Deutsch says, "Now I need you." Big open ditch, bang, comes for him down the hill. I need you again, comes for him, and then just economise home grand, and then getting a little lazy on the running, one smack, bang, he was off. Yeah, just he's a beautiful horse to watch, and beautiful horse to watch. Charlie Deutsch is absolutely exceptional in the saddle as well. It should be said. Um, you're- yeah, although although I'd say even Charlie, who I have great admiration for, and has done obviously great things developing Lompresse's talent, I suspect even he would concede that riding him is a is a, a thing of joy, and something that most any jockey ought to be able to do reasonably well, rather than any kind of um, painstaking assignment. And I believe, and Brian Gold or others can correct me. I believe first French bred to win the old RSA now brand advisory. So uh, congratulations to Venetia. Is that was that is that another meaningless is that another meaningless trend that can now be thrown on the bonfire? I mean, you know, is it was he really? no absolutely that that's not right. What about that horse of Robert Ogden's of Nichols's? That must have been French bred, wasn't it? Stardom Hazel. Surely that was French bred. Uh, the five year old. Stardom Moison yeah. in the uh, Robert Ogden colours. Surely that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm having a guess here. Oui. Sounds- Stardom Moison uh, by Baysac out of Belle de Moison by Souvero. He's French bred and won the said same race back in uh, 2006. That's now, there, there you go. Now, there's good knowledge, by the way. There is exceptionally good knowledge. Well, um, I'm sure there have been. There must have probably been some since as well, but I... I it's just a load of bollocks, that, isn't it? I, 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 you know, whatever. And, and you can get the Weatherby's Cheltenham Festival betting guide for entry. Uh, but, but, Paul, but Paul Ferguson, who edited the, this year's Weatherby's Festival betting guide, uh, yeah. made a big point, and quite right too, and it's excellent guide it was, made a big point of saying that the, 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 that kind of reductive trends analysis was, uh, was a thing of the past. And it was just simply there as, you know, as part of a whole... Um, Sweet of uh, of punting benefits. Yeah, uh, this is the actual stat. French breads are zero from thirty six in the last fifteen years. That's what it was. <laughs> so, <laughs> so exactly in the last fifteen years, so they've gone back as far as the last French bread. Yeah, and then said and then said zero from thirty six. So I did, just I did. Read- if, if Sardam Hazel had won it one year previously, they'd have told you it was zero from forty one in the last sixteen years. That's why this stuff is. That's why this stuff is is. It's not meaningless, but it. What you have to think to yourself, right? Why is that relevant? Why can? Why should that be in any way relevant? It just kind of shouldn't. I mean, it. There must be French bred winners of three mile novice chases every day of the week in England and Ireland. It just doesn't make any sense. I think there used to be a statistic about French breds in in the Grand National. Uh, that you know, don't yeah, but don't we, touch it. Yeah, but but, we, but now it now, now it's a positive. Now now they've changed it, and it's like, oh, French breads have a good record in the race. Wait, what? You were telling us for years not to vacuum, but these things evolve. Um, I, I there were some very good things, I must say. Uh, 
horses who had not run in the calendar year have a terrible record in the Grand Annual, the Pretemps, and uh, the Festival Place, and that all that all paid off. So yeah, we can we can go with that. But um, we're down the we're down the uh, rabbit hole here, or the True de la Fin. <laughs> but Paul Ferguson, as you said, at pains to state that this is very much a guide. They're not rules that you just blindly follow. They're there to assist you in some way, but you interpret them in the way you want. Uh, Tiger Roll. So Dennis O'Regan reckons if the ground had been anything like it was on Tuesday, he'd have bolted up. Um, He's been carried out in his shield. What was absolutely priceless is the fact that both Michael O'Leary and Eddie O'Leary admitted to booing Delta Work. Dude won. And um, to be fair, Katie Young, when we did a, a the Cheltenham preview for Sport, Sports Talk Ireland, uh, she said, what price is Delta work for the cross-country? Went, what are you talking about? He's not entered. Really? Because we've been schooling him over the Banks fences. He gets introduced at 25 to 1 the next day and was fives like that um, because obviously he's a, he's a grade one class horse. And... Um, I had said to Dennis, no horse who'd run in the... You have to have cross-country experience. Like, Cossack Horses had a spin around the cross-country fences. Tiger Roll... I remember Lydia doing that famous interview with with, um, uh, Gordon on Racing TV in December uh, when Tiger Roll first ran over the cross-country fences. And she said, that was an eye-catching run from him. What's the plan, uh, Gordon? And he goes, march, and just walks off. Uh, as as he then bolts up in the cross country later that year, um, but he was incredibly well schooled because Dennis was saying to us that yeah. Delta Work had actually jumped more cross country fences than he would jump in the race itself. It, it produced an epic Emmett, finish. Uh, Emmett, can, can I can I be can I sort of be be a bit more prosaic about the the whole Delta Work Tiger Roll thing? Of course, uh, first and particularly in relation to Delta Work. The notion that if the race had been run the day before Tiger Roll would have won is is not is not correct because Delta Works form is there a, is there a horse is there a top class horse in fact in Ireland who has shown better form relative to his other form on a sound surface than Delta Work? I'd suggest not. I mean, his victories early in his career came in May at Punchestown on good ground. Yep. He then won at the Cheltenham Festival on good ground. He was then second in a Grade One on good ground. Where has he been at his most effective as a senior chaser? Leopardstown, where the ground is never soft. And even when they call it yielding, trainers will tell you that it's on the quick side. So this notion that Delta Work somehow was favoured by the soft ground has got to be incorrect. Has to be incorrect. No, I think the, the point Del- that was Del- being made... Delta Work's a, yeah, but Delta Work's... A, Tiger Roll has run his race. He's every bit run his race. And Delta Work is a better horse than Tiger Roll, boring though it is to say it. What did I feel kind of a bit sick at uh, the result? Yeah, I'd love to have seen Tiger Roll win. Looking back on it now, do I think they shouldn't have run Delta Work? Well, not really, because in fact, Delta Works had the perfect prep for the Grand National, for yes. which he now must have a huge chance. Oh, he has to. He's got to have a huge chance. He's such a classy horse. He stays. He likes lovely spring ground, um, and and he goes in there with his confidence re- restored, a revivified horse, just as Tiger Roll was by the cross country. Hasn't Elliot just done the same with Delta Work as he had with Tiger Roll? But the scary thing is that going into this, 
Delta Works a classier and more informed horse than Tiger Roll was when it gingered him up ahead of his first Grand National. Yeah, uh, as long as the 11 stone three doesn't lead to complaints from Michael and Eddie O'Leary, then we're okay. But he surely Delta Work takes his chance in the Grand National and um, should be able to. I don't. I don't think you've got to go back too far. In fact, I think it was last year's Grand National weights uh, bore fest when uh, the owners were saying, uh, oh, he's on the same mark as Delta Work. He wouldn't be fit to lace Delta Work's boots in a grade one, blah, blah, blah. And indeed, they were absolutely correct. Yep. Um, so stand by. Delta Work's got a massive chance in the Grand National, as if you needed me to tell you that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And you can get 12s. And um, I think you can get slightly bigger as well, by the way. Uh, and I would be more than happy to take that. I think Dennis, Dennis's point was that if the ground wasn't as soft, Tiger Roll just seems to run to a mark of like 180 over cross-country fences, whereas when you put him in other races, he just isn't having that. There's but no, but there's, look, just look, no, look, there's just no such thing as a mark of a 180 over cross-country <laughs> fences. <laughs> no, but but I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think Delta Work went in as the better horse and he was sent off favourite as well, we should remember too. So uh, the market did come for him. So the O'Leary's may very well have, have booed him, um, but uh, they're the ones who made the decision to run him and, and Gordon produced him to perfection. Um, watering was a, a very controversial topic. Paul Nichols was amongst those to, to criticise it. Um, was the criticism of the clerk of the course unfair in your, your view? Um, well, he did not... <laughs> He didn't actually get that much criticism, I don't think. Um, you know, normally when when water's put on and then it rains, they really get stuck in. I mean, Andrew Cooper, uh, Oaks Day, got an absolute shellacking because he'd been watering in the build-up to the meeting and he said he couldn't have foreseen the amount of rain that fell on Oaks Day. That's the nearest comparison I can remember. Um, Cheltenham's an undulating track uh, where horses go faster than they really ought to. Um, generally speaking, and it's a track that has within it um, inherently greater risk of catastrophic injury, and it's beholden on the sport to try and reduce that risk. It can't eliminate it, but to try and uh, mitigate against that risk as best possible. That doesn't mean it has to produce soft ground. It just has to produce um, safe ground, and I think it's reasonable that they aim for good to soft on the first day. What you could argue is that John Pullen would have been within his rights to put a little bit more water on mm -hmm. before the first day and to create ground that was genuinely good to soft. Um, I'm perfectly happy with the, with, the, with the way the ground was on, on the first day, but there were many, many more trainers unhappy at how it was riding at the back end of Tuesday than there were trainers who were unhappy with how it was riding uh, midway through Wednesday when they were in the middle of a downpour. So if... If there was a possibility of either no rain or just a mill or two sprinkling on the Wednesday, then I think he had no choice but to water on Tuesday night, given, given what then took place. It, it was academic. There was so much rain then on Wednesday, it wouldn't have made a blind bit of difference whether he'd watered or not. But it is an interesting debate as to how you, how you should start the meeting and whether the ground on Tuesday was, in fact, a fair bit quicker than the description that was given at the outset. But John Pullen would not be the first clerk of the course at Cheltenham, and Simon Clay's had this for years, 16, 17 years, of calling it good to soft on the first day. 
you're reasonably warm, it's drying. By the time you get around to Supreme Novice Hurdle time and you get good horses on it, they're running good ground times or quicker. Yeah, yeah, and of course, Cheltenham drains so well too. Uh, Nichols said if he understood why John Pullian had done what he did. No, not at all. From Sunday on, the forecast was going to be very wet today. And why water when you've got a wet day forecast? I'm not getting into any arguments. Well, actually, you are, Paul, uh, about that. But sometimes it's hard. It's a hard job. I wouldn't want to be the clerk of the course. Um, I don't think Paul Nichols particularly wants to have runners at Cheltenham. He, t- he took out McFabulous. He took out Brave Man's Game. I think that when he strutted up to Jess and John Dance and Brian Drew to say Brave Man's Game's out, oh, we can't run now. I think he was delighted. Well, I think he was thrilled well, well, with himself. But I, I will uh, say this. Uh, Dennis O'Regan said, look, anybody who's complaining about the ground shouldn't be competing at Cheltenham because he looked up the forecast and uh, went to the BBC and the best case scenario was a 40% chance of rain on the day. So he said they were perfectly entitled to, to water and the rain that fell, it was forecast to fall overnight. It didn't. Uh, there was no guarantee that it was going to fall on the day. So he was strongly in, in in agreement with the clerk of the course and strongly in disagreement and called out Paul Nichols actually on the final furlong for, for having a pop. Well, I'm just looking at Brave Man's Games form again. You know, w- what actually appears in the form book is at slight right angles to the narrative leading into the race. Now, admittedly, he's done quite a lot of his racing at Newbury where in recent seasons, the ground, even when it's soft, has not got that soft. But he did win the grade one shallow hurdle on ground described officially as soft. Um, it was much quicker when he then got beaten at Cheltenham by Bob Bollinger. Uh, he won the grade one Felton chase, his most impressive performance over fences so far on ground officially described as soft when the times were really slow. It was, it was yeah. horrible ground at Kempton on Boxing Day. 25, 25 seconds slower than standard, the, 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 the Corto star, where he thumped the subsequent Brown advisory runner-up Ahoy Senor by seven and a half lengths. So I, I wonder if Paul had had two winners on Tuesday and um, star whatever the thing of, what was, uh, what was that nice horse that won the cello this year? What was it called? The horse uh, who ran uh, the Manning. Star, oh. Stage star. Oh, stage star. If that, if that, I mean, that horse was, again, you couldn't, you couldn't deduce anything from the way he ran. He pulled like a Mustang and just fell in a hole four out. Wow. You know, it, cello hurdle winners have a terrible record. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Harry Harry Cobden says that the ground was heavy. Well, it, it, as Venetia's point, I don't think it was. I think it was just very wet, and the conditions weren't very nice. Yeah, I, I I'm kind of disappointed he didn't run Brave Man's Game. I get it, and he come out and win at Aintree, and it'll look like the right decision. But again, the evidence of Brave Man's Game's form doesn't necessarily back up the narrative that this is a horse who wants lovely, good, quick ground. You know, so. Uh, I, get, I, I understand why Paul was disappointed. I don't really think... It, I read something. I read some clickbait headline that popped up on my Facebook timeline or whatever saying, um, uh, oh, the furious trainer storms at Cheltenham. He didn't do anything of the sort. It was, he was frustrated and he was a bit bristly, but he wasn't, he wasn't really having that big a go. He wasn't sounding off. He just was expressing a bit of a difference of opinion yeah. you know i've seen paul, i've seen paul get cross and like Ooh. i thought he, i thought it was i thought it was pretty moderate really i, do, I really did do i you, think go on uh, do you remember him bollocking and it's the only way to describe it sam thomas after the potato race before 
Sam Thomas was taking the ride on Denman? No, because I, I didn't I didn't see that and oh. no, no, I don't, to be honest. It was it was in public view, which is why I saw it, and my god. Uh the guy got an absolute scalding. It was no wonder he, he leathered Denman the way he did uh, to go win the gold cup. Um, um I do you know what I do you know what I really um, I, I'm a I'm a massive Nichols fan. Um, as am I. I, I, I kind of love the way he wears his heart on his sleeve and he, he finds it very hard not to say what he's actually thinking. Mm. There'll be plenty of trainers who would have been in the bar or chatting to the owners or talking to the jockeys. I mean, properly chuntering away, giving it out far worse than Nichols, but at least Nichols tells you what he thinks. And I, in a way, I, I'm sort of sad that he didn't have a winner or two this year because... I sort of feel that the, the sport as a whole in this country is healthier when its best practitioners are really firing. Yeah. You know, and, and he, his horses went into the meeting in, in cracking form and he'll have a great entry in air and, and will probably be champion trainer again. And I know that drives him hard, but he's a better, he's a, I think he's a better trainer than that. He's a better trainer than, than, than that sort of, um, that sort of approach will necessarily give him the credit for, you know, he's absolute master of his craft. And I'd, I'd absolutely love it next year. If he, if he did bring a brave man's game or something back and that horse ended up being a proper gold cup horse, we've got this, we're going to labor now under this idea that brave man's game is a, I don't know, a flat track bully or he can't do it at Cheltenham or he can't get up the hill or all these other kind of, um, strange festival preview night. Um, canards but uh, there's no there's no body of evidence to really really back that up no. and you want your best horses of your best trainers running in the best races and it was a low point for me when that horse was withdrawn for all I can understand why they did it I my my initial reaction I had to stop myself from saying it on TalkSport 2 was uh, or on TalkSport I should say was he's bottled it um, and, and then I just had to like be professional and just go, well, you know, you have to look at it from the trainer's perspective. He's doing what's right for the horse. But all season, he's basically been saying about his two stable stars, stage star and Brave Man's game, it's Aintree. That's where he wanted to go. And mm. it was the owners who wanted to go to Cheltenham. So um, I, I think you're right. I think he'll he'll tear up Aintree. And um, it is disappointing that he wasn't on the winner's board. But I have a feeling that this is just a time of transition for Paul Nichols and that there are very exciting young horses there coming through and, and he will be back. It's just a matter of time. Um, well, I don't, but I don't, but, but I don't think he's gone anywhere. Emmett, you know, he's got a very powerful string. He's likely to be champion trainer again. And, and he's got very good horses with whom he wins very good races every week of the year. Um, my, my slight concern is that, you know, psychologically he's now, he's now got a bit of a, he's now got a bit of an issue with, with Cheltenham because his dominance, his hegemony is going to be much more significantly challenged than it is at home. And he's a very competitive person who wants to be winning and wants to be the best. You know, he can just about deal with the idea that he's got Henderson to, to, to muscle out of the way and Skelton to muscle out of the way through the meat of the national hunt season until you get to Cheltenham. But then it becomes a lot more difficult when between Willie and Gordon Elliott, who, didn't really turn up that much this year, but between the two of them, they've got, you know, 110 bullets to fire at the Cheltenham Festival. Then it becomes a, 
a different beast. And it's a very different beast to what he was accustomed to at the end of the 90s and through the noughties and at the beginning of the last decade. So, yeah. you know, I, I just I just think it's one of those things where you've kind of got you get it, got to get your head around the fact that 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 particular week is going to be a lot more difficult, but you either want to compete there or you just say, I don't want to compete. I'd rather, I'd rather compete where I can, where, where I, I have a, a much greater chance of winning. I, I really hope that, that he has, you know, two or three absolute cracker jacks to chuck at say the novice hurdles or, uh, and the novice chases next year and brave man's game graduates to the next level. And he can remind everybody why he's the, why he's been one of the most important and influential trainers of his generation. You know, Phoenicia Williams has dug deep. She's dug really deep and has produced every horse in her yard that's run at the festival, apart from one who fell, to run off their faces, in spite of the fact she had a virus not long before the festival. And um, she's done that because last year she went and wrote like a four-page paper trying to analyse and give a bit of context to where British trainers may be, why British trainers might have been underperforming at the festival. I'm not saying the two are directly, you know, corollary. I'm just saying that, you know, she's she wants to compete. She's determined to get out there and and show that she can compete on that stage. No reason why people who day in, day out have a far greater success rate can't do the same. And the beauty of the way of Venetia doing it is that she's campaigned those horses you know, not saying hell for leather, but she's not exactly hidden the, hidden their lights under a bushel all season. No, they've she been hasn't. running. They've been running every bloody week. Yeah, and and running really well. No one's going to accuse Venetia of being a, a a really conservative trainer or 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 sort of being a bit sort of um, a bit cautious and a bit willyish or a bit hen hen nightish in the way that she gets horses to to big festivals. She gets out there and and gets stuck in, and that's that's yielded. Um, reward, you know. I, I just—it's great to see Alan King back with a winner. Oh, um, this year I owe him an apology. And it can't be a coincidence that there are trainers who, no matter where they sit in the trainers' table, no matter how many horses they've got, no matter how well or badly they do otherwise, that always seem to keep dotting, you know, producing horses to run really well at the festival. You know, Ben Pauling sort of went a couple of years half in the wilderness, really. Mm-hmm. But up he pops again with a festival winner. There'll be trainers who've been much more consistent in that time. Can't train one to to get within twenty lengths at the festival. Um, ben Case sixty six to one three years ago. Croco Bay Cobbler's Dream bloody nearly once wins the last race this year, having travelled like the best horse all the way around. He's only got I don't know two dozen horses or whatever. There are people who do seem to be able to get horses right for that week, and others who struggle with it. And for whatever I, reason. I thought Huey Morrison, not just tooting my own horn for putting the horse out, but I thought Huey Morrison produced a fantastic performance with, with Third Wind, although why that Stewart's inquiry went on for the length of time that it did is beyond me. Um, Harry Fry, who'd been in the doldrums, bounces back this season uh, to be much stronger and then produces a Cheltenham winner as well in a race that Ireland have dominated since its inception at the festival. Um, but Venetia having two winners, two thirds and a second. Um Gordon's comeback. I mean, Gordon sent 64 horses over. There were 24 members of staff not there throughout the entire week. They were rotating in and out. Katie Young was there for the whole week. Um, he ends up with two winners, uh, a one-two in the cross country. Um, he's had six seconds 
that could have changed his festival, and one third. How do you assess his week overall? Uh, well, he'll be, he'll be disappointed, won't he? I mean, you know, notwithstanding the Delta Work Tiger Roll thing, it, it is a cross country race after all. Um, and there was some there were some bright spots for the future. American Mike, I thought, you know, looked like a horse who ought to take really high rank. He'd have won he'd have won ten out of eleven champion bumpers, wouldn't he? Yeah, really promising horse for the future, beautiful horse as well. But he, oh, I thought Galvin ran. If you said at the beginning of the season Galvin's going to run in the Gold Cup, where do you think he'll finish? You could have, you might have said fourth, mightn't you? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's he's sort of regressed to the mean a little bit. I thought he ran fine. He got very warm beforehand as well. Um, uh, Chupo was very disappointing. San Felician was very disappointing. There were you know there were a lot of horses who didn't really who didn't really show up. Um, so that certainly made Willie Mullins task a shade easier. And that sort of certainly going into the meeting, I thought Gordon Elliott, I, I, I'd have been pretty confident he'd have, he'd have taken five or six home with him. Yeah. That's um, what, that's what I was expecting. I was, of course, five, well, five or six, seven. One point that will be made is that, is that he had a lot of anti-post favorites for a lot of the handicaps. Um, and, and I threw a combination either of, ill fortune or horses just not running to form. He didn't really figure, but I'm sure that will, that will further um, add grist to the, oh, was the British handicapper being too hard on the Irish horses mill? Um, in the case of one or two, absolutely not. <laughs> State man, for example. But like Cider Burley was unlucky in the Potemps and he got brought down in that melee early on in the race. Yeah. As I said, San Felicia, that might've been a, you know, inexper- very inexperienced horse on a very wet, horrible day in a big field just didn't really happen for him. And he wins the race no. anyway. Well, indeed, that was the one one of the races he did win, of course, with a fifty to one poke. Mm. Uh, who, Katie, who, to be fair, Katie Young put up on the show. And did I put a cent on him? No, sorry, Katie. But she said if he gets out on the right side of the bed, he'll win, um, or he'll run a massive race. And fifties, I stood there looking at him at fifties and went, nah, nah. Same for the Shein for me, um, and, and the boss's Oscar each way. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The handicaps were really his go-to, and and it just it didn't quite happen for him. But he had you know, those seven seconds could have, they could have changed the the festival for him, um, or six seconds could have could have had a, a significant impact on the festival for him. Um, uh, just a couple of talking points before I uh, let you go. Um, and uh, of course, people can, people can listen to the Nick Look Daily, which is absolutely essential and is available now. Uh, Eighteen ten in the end. I was warning that there was a element of complacency within the Irish ranks, and I also was getting messages from people listening to other shows and, and watching other shows saying, "I'm getting really fed up with this Irish bias," uh, or that Ireland are going to come up and, and and rock up and and just destroy Cheltenham again. Um, and I also think that that was in danger of being very boring for people. Uh, and, and I was of the view, just look at day one, look at the firepower that, that the UK have. Like we're, we're not guaranteed. We're, we're certainly not going to have 23-5. Um, I think my mm. joke was yeah. when I was asked on, on the talk to board, I said, we won't have 23 winners. We'll have 24. But, it, but I was, I was, being very conservative, like I was saying, look, I think we will win the Presbury cup, but it's not going to be as dominant as it was. Um, Ten winners for for the UK. That that's how it should be, really. Well, no, it shouldn't. It should. <laughs> no, it absolutely shouldn't. <laughs> the meeting takes place in Britain. It should be about. Well, 
it, it, it should be r- roughly even Stevens or the British should be winning a few more races than the visitors. But in recent seasons, given the, given the uh, uh, raw material available to the Irish trainers and because the Irish trainers have become so incredibly good, efficient, talented, etc., um, I think you could re- realistically expect it this year to have, it to have been roughly the same as last. I I wasn't expecting GB to have ten winners because as you say you said GB had firepower on the first day. Every every good horse needed to go in, and they did. Yeah, yeah. Constitutional needed to win. It did. Edwardstone needed to win. It did. I mean, Ireland had a gazillion chances. It could have won the Arkle. You know, uh, and the Ultima was a blowout for. Irish horses, but then it quite it often all, is. It always is. Um, I, I, there was some. I thought where there were some pleasant surprises for the British, winning those two mares races. But again, everything had to go right. I mean, Brian hardly had a bloody horse in those races. You're effectively looking at tens on shots getting beaten. Yeah. You know, or more. I like. It, I, I wouldn't be <laughs> like. I, I wish I could say it different. I wouldn't be that much. I wouldn't be that confident of advancing on ten next year. Yeah, you know, I think ten was a very good score considering the the um, considering the firepower available. Um, I just hope what it does is it gives is it gives owners and trainers confidence. It gives owners confidence to send uh, horses to British trainers. Yeah, and, and that because all 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 the, all the major owners who are in the UK send their horses to Ireland to be trained. Am I going to criticise them for that? No, the Bromhead, Elliot, and Mullins. Their record is. Unbelievable at the Cheltenham Festival. Um, but for the good of the sport in Britain, the good of the industry, and for the good of the breeding industry here, do I hope that British trainers get patronised a bit more by the super wealthy owners? Yeah, absolutely I do. I think it's got to be it's got to be good for the sport. Mm. Um, so, yeah. It, it was... It, I, I think it was an, ab, an above par result given the circumstances that we're in at the moment. Yeah, just that Irish racing has such dominance with Willie and Gordon and Henry in particular. Um, Joseph O'Brien got in on the act too. Um, but you would like to think that, I mean, this point has been made. These horses are there to be bought. You know, Paul Nichols, uh, David Pipe, Nicky Henderson, they can all go and buy them in France, they can buy them from the Irish point-to-point field, like Lucinda Russell. The British point-to-point sector has has gotten so much better. Um, and Ahoy Senor looks like a big, raw, talented horse who's going to have a, a very bright future. They're there to to improve. We'll, we'll see what, what time brings. Uh, speaking of what time brings, so 1.6 million watched on, on ITV. There was a massive reaction to Fox Sports coverage, uh, which I believe they were taking your coverage um, in the US, which is fantastic. And they were watching Rachel Blackmore win the, the Gold Cup, which is brilliant for us because obviously the Americans are mostly watching um, flat racing. But I will say that the third biggest market for us, 72% of our audience is in the UK, 19% in Ireland. The third highest market is America. And you have to think of the amount of British and Irish people who are living in the United States Australia, Canada, who listen to your show and my show because they want to hear familiar voices and they want to keep up with with their sport. But the talk of a five-day festival has to be mentioned. Willie Mullins has warned that if they're going to do this, 
it has to be done properly and not dilute the quality if they're going to extend the meeting from 2024 onwards. Tom Lacey and Nikki Henderson have come out in support of this. Surely the small fields of the Turners and the Ukraine Appeal Novices Chase and the amount of non-runners that we saw, surely that's a message to the jockey club. Don't do this. You've got enough with four. We don't need five. Yeah. It, it, this, it's, it's very simple, this. If you want a five-day festival, then you're going to have m- more handicaps. It's as simple as that. It's not... you. you I I believe that you can't really expect people to pay a lot of money for six races. And actually, it kind of doesn't make sense just having six races a day either from any perspective. If, you, if you're doing this with a commercial hat on, you want them there for, for as long as possible, spending money. Yeah. So, you know, don't kind of give with one hand and take away with the other. If you're going to have five days, you've got to have seven races a day, I think. So this whole kind of, oh, you'd only have to add two races, that's just mission creep. You know, don't, 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 you know, don't dissemble. Just say, right, okay, five, five days, seven races a day. I want to see a study as to how much more income that's going to generate uh, and a study over time. I will see the full projections before you kind of throw it out completely because the figure may be so huge, it's simply impossible to resist. You know, commercial benefits, terrestrial television benefits, et cetera, et cetera. Have a look at that. But, but what you've got to accept is, that it is, it has got to be. You're going to have more handicaps now. If you if you don't mind that, fine. If you don't like the idea of more handicaps and you think it fundamentally changes the essence of the beast, then then let's not have it. But what you can't have is more grade ones because there's too many grade ones already. There aren't enough good horses to fill those races. We saw that the t- the the Turners, the Ukraine Appeal Novice Chase, and the Brown Advisory Novice Chase. They're all basically the same race for the same horses. There might be a mile in distance between them. What's that when you're you know, steeple chasing yeah. with good horses, with grade one horses. You know, it's a they need to change the conditions of that Ukraine appeal novice chase anyway. Oh. It's a nonsense now. It, it, it's a so because you, you you need those horses should be running in the brown advisory. Yeah, and, well, it's, and, it's and, the then, same a, race. and then a lesser. Well, the thing is, if you want, if you want, if you want a bunch bunch more handicaps, fine. But you can't have you can't have more conditions races because there aren't enough horses to go around. Simple yeah. as that. That, that and that's what it's meant is meant I think by diluting the quality. I, anyway, that's it. That's all. That's, that's that's all I want to say. I think that's a great point. I I also fear a merit's bumper. A story for another day. What was your highlight or your standout story of the week? Um, my highlight of the week is almost always um, the Gold Cup, and I think it was again. I thought that was the standout story last year's second, first finishing first and second. Uh, you know, an unusual uh, reversal and redemption marking out the fact that we're talking about two real quality horses. A brilliant ride by Rachel Blackmore. It clearly meant an awful lot to her. She had unfinished business with the race. And I'd just like to see the best horse in that race stamping his or her quality on the entire festival. And that's exactly what happened. Boring, but that for me was uh, the moment of the week. Rachel Blackmore and Aplutar winning the Gold Cup. And clearly, Constitution Hill was ridiculous. You're not talking about an odds-on shot. You're talking about the three-to-one favorite. I think I completely agree with you. I think that is the standout story, and indeed, standout performance of the week. It's racing's blue ribbon, and it went to the right horse. Nick, look, pleasure as always. Look on Sunday is a superb show. Make sure you're watching it. You can watch it for free on Racing TV uh, Sunday mornings. Um, love the new set, by the way. So, congratulations with uh, the success of the show, and of course, the Nick Look Daily as well. Nick, we'll chat to you again soon. Take care. Well done on the Cheltenham coverage. Be safe. 
Emmett, thanks so much. Got it, Ash. Cheers. Take care, my friend. Nick, look, and um, pleasure to have him on the show, as always. Uh, we are back with more Cheltenham analysis. Dennis O'Regan and Darren McGrath breaking down day one and day two uh, later on this evening. That's Monday night. And day three and day four, we will restart for you on Tuesday and we'll preview the weekend's racing on Thursday with the ghost himself, Roy Delarkey. Hope you enjoyed this special edition of our first review of Cheltenham 2022. Looking at the big stories. We'll chat to you again very, very soon. Stay safe. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday. The latest trainer to join our ranks is Donald McCain. To celebrate, we'll be having a Sunday and Final Furlong Podcast owner's morning on Saturday, April 16th at Bankhouse Stables to see Raffles Capital and the €150,000 purchase, Invincible Power, the most expensive horse Sunday have ever bought. To join us, download the app or visit allaboutsunday.com. The ultimate racehorse ownership experience. And by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. Kaluki offer betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, with instant withdrawals and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki also have betting pitches at tracks across the UK, including additional ones at Cheltenham. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk